Just want to start with a question to you. What is this life about? What do you think your life is about? I don't know about you, but when I was young, I, uh, I didn't really think about this the question. Right? What, is, what is this life really about? I basically went with the flow. Um, you know, I was one of those uh, very, very compliant kids. So basically, I did everything. Uh, basically, I did what everybody else did. So when I was, say, middle school, high school, I went to school. I didn't really cut class, right, because I knew I was going to be in trouble from my mom. Um, I did my homework. I, you know, I did extracurricular activities. You would, and, you know, of course, you hang out with friends. You go to church, uh, and you study to get into good college and all that, right? But, you know, if you are like me, you probably was, you know, something similar, you would just kind of go with the flow. But, you know, as we grow up and as we see things, we hear things, and as we experience things, slowly we start to wonder, right, what is this life really about? I mean, have you, ever, have you guys ever felt like you are uh, this headless chicken just walking around? I mean, there are just so many things that are going on. It's just every breathing second, you have to do things. There are always things to take care of. And it just seems like 24 hours in a day is just not enough. Busy doing things. Is this life, is your life really about that? It's constantly plowing and just doing things, checking out things to do. Ecclesiastes uh, is not the most well-known book in the Bible. I mean, how many, how many of us, if you actually have the physical book, the Bible, right, not your, you know, uh, smartphone, how many of us can really find where it is without looking at the table of content? Can you just look it up and just find it? But it is a book permeated with helpful insights into the meaning of life in, its, uh, in all of its diversity and perplexity. Ooh, I'm using some big words. Well, so I just, you know, as I told you, I, I just came back from a preaching conference, and there he was really encouraging us to look at the thesaurus, yeah, thesaurus, and then kind of, you know, look up different words instead of using the same words, but just kind of use more descriptive words and, and all these things. Um, but, you know, like, so this book really tells us, it gives us really helpful insights into the meaning of life. Now, with his uh, life largely behind him, the author, likely Solomon, takes stock of the world as he has experienced it. That this world is seen as being full of puzzles. This life, this world is full of puzzles. Isn't it true? If you think about it, there are just so many things that are happening in us, around us, in the world that are so puzzling, so vexing. We just, it's just, things are not really cut and dry, right? It's really complicated. A lot of moving pieces, the life throws curveball at all, us all the time. And the, great of, uh, the greatest of all the puzzle is us, the human beings. Oh, boy. You know, I've been married for 12 years. 
but I'm still trying to figure her out, right? I mean, I joke with her all the time. You know, I figured you out, right? I mean, you're like in the, the palm of, you know, the back of my hand or something, but, it, it, you know, I'm just joking. And at times, I'm trying to figure myself out. There are times when things happen and I react in certain ways. I say certain things. I do certain things, and I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't know that I had that in me. Our life, we ourselves, puzzle. And Solomon, or the, the, the author, finds that human wisdom has limits and cannot find out the larger purposes of God or the ultimate meaning of man's existence. You know, with all the accomplishments and all the advance, uh, uh, advancement of science and technology, right, the humankind cannot adequately answer the most fundamental question, what is our life really about? Do you really know? Have you truly figured out what your life is really about? Philosophers, you know, offer their solutions, but it's really, they are really unsatisfactory. They are wanting. You know, in the movie, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, Into the Wild, so there is a main character who is kind of disillusioned with the world. So he just, you know, goes into the, the, literally the wilderness, right? And he stays there for some time, he just eats whatever that he can find in the, wilder, in, in the wilderness. Um, and as he's trying to go home, but uh, because of the torrent, uh, the river, uh, so he, he, there was like a, dis, uh, you know, a deserted uh, the, a bus, right? And then, but he ate something like a poisonous that he, didn't, he wasn't aware of. But he's dying. And he knows he's dying. And as he, in his dying moments, he writes, happiness is only real when shared. Happiness is, is only real when shared. So um, that was his uh, realization that, that in his dying moment, one thing, one, mo- one thing, one epiphany, if you will, was that true happiness is only real when shared. Once again, even with his death, he gave that, that he came to the realization, but that still it's not enough to answer the question. It's like that if you try to find answers from elsewhere. Only the word of God can address that crucial, uh, the crucial question of the meaning of life and the purpose of your life. And today's text tells us a couple of points related to our life on earth. And the first point uh, that this passage tells us is man is limited. Man is limited. We are finite. As I said before, our days are numbered from the moment of our birth. I know we have, you know, some of the, uh, the, new, uh, the moms, you know, with the newborn babies. Even the, the newborn babies, Ben, even he, his days are numbered from his birth. Yes, he would have full years ahead of him. But the, the reality is, his days are numbered. 
You know, I mean, these days, um, I don't know if you guys experienced it driving here or as you are out, in, uh, out on the road. I mean, the cicadas right there are torpedoing, right? I mean, you are just driving on your Fairfax County or like highways or just even the local roads. I mean, they're just such a you know, clumsy like <laughs> thing that's flying that you see it coming, it's a slow motion. It's like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. Get away, get away. But, you know, pow, right? And it just it was crazy. I mean, just suicides, right? I mean, they live underground for 17 years and emerge from the ground, mate, and die within four to six weeks. What a life cycle. But really, we are not that different. Even though we may live, you know, Lord willing, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, whether they, whether, you know, the cicadas live 17 years underground and come out the surface from the, from the ground for four to six weeks, it's really, in, in light of eternity, it's a fleeting moment. Think about it, 78 years compared to eternity. Like in math, I, know I, I was a math major. You know, it doesn't matter what you have on the, uh, the, uh, the number up there, but, you know, the denominator is infinity. It's, it means zero. It doesn't matter whether you have one million over, one million over infinity. It really, it's meaningless because infinity is infinity. Our life is fleeting. If you really pause and think about it, we all wish that we could live longer, but our life is limited. Every one of us, our days on this, uh, on this earth are numbered. You know, my mom is now in her 80s, and so more and more I can tell that she's increasingly keenly aware of the limited time that she has in this life. She has seen enough of her friends' funerals. She knows very well. And at times, I feel it myself. Like, you know, as I'm getting older and older, oh my gosh, you know, I definitely, I mean, you never know, but, you know, I feel like I definitely have lived more than half of my life in this, uh, you know, I'm definitely entering into the second half of this life. I'm so old. And Pastor Jay is not that far behind me. I mean, he's right there with me. Oops, did I say that out loud? Uh, sorry about that. But, um, you know, but I know that the younger, uh, the younger you are, and I know we have some uh, college students here, uh, the less likely you would think about the limited days that you have in this life. Because you feel like you have way, you know, all your life is just set before you. But even the young can get taken away. Look at what, uh, what's happened to young people during this pandemic. Even the young people succumb to this uh, virus. I knew a, a guy when I was in seminary. Uh, he was right out of college, but he was in his early 20s, full of life. He was a really well-loved pastor uh, at, his, uh, at his youth group. And he was such a great uh, basketball player. I mean, that guy could just shoot the light, lights out from the three-point three line. I mean... You know, this is, this, that, that guy was, like, so, so accurate. If you just leave him time to shoot, he could make three-pointers behind the arc. And then one day, while he was driving, coming back from a student's, uh, one of his youth group members' um, uh, lacrosse game, uh, he was driving, uh, following this large 
18-wheeler, uh, and then but had, had uh, metal pipes, but one of them just slipped out on the highway, and it, uh, he happened to, it, uh, the metal pipe went through uh, him right under his eye, right? So it was a closed gasket, uh, casket, uh, even uh, viewing and all that. We were just shocked. We were all in our early 20s. We thought we have our life 70, 80 years ahead of us. And then, boom, the life was taken away. We don't really think about those things, but we all have number. Our days are number. And we have, if you think about it, we have limitation everywhere we look. Even our language, right? It's so limited. You know, you know when you are in love with someone, your heart is bursting with like, oh, I wanted to express my love to you. But what can we say? Oh, I love you, honey, right? Very limited, but that doesn't really describe everything that you are truly feeling. If you're really upset or if you're really depressed, what you're truly feeling and you try to uh, communicate that to someone next to you, oh, I'm sad, I am depressed, you know that doesn't truly really describe what you're truly feeling inside. Even our human language that we use does not truly convey what's truly inside. We have limitation, even in our language. And we have a limited capacity to understand things. We don't figure things out, right? I mean, there are so many things. I still don't understand why even COVID, this pandemic, you know, all just took place. Why so much suffering? We human, you human beings are finite and limited. Perhaps the best known verse in the whole book is verse 11. Verse 11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, the author gives a concluding summary of what he has said in verses 1 through 10 in verse 11. Notice here he says that God has put eternity into man's heart. What does that mean? God has put eternity into man's heart. What? How can eternity be in our heart? What does that really mean? The idea of the Hebrew word translated eternity is that God has placed a sense of time in man's heart. If there is an event that we know that there is a time before that event and there is a time after that event, after that, another time Time after that, time after that, time before that, time before that. And so it goes on and on and on. So what does that really mean? What it's, uh, what it's saying is that, that it is natural for man to reflect on the way things progress. Because we have that sense of time. There's a time before that, time after that. What's after that? Another time after that. So we reflect on the way things progress. In other words, God has made man in such a way that he is concerned with the puzzle of life. Because this life is so puzzling. In the short time that each of us has here on this earth, we inevitably think about our own place in the scheme of things. Do we not? We try to see how we fit 
in this larger picture? What is my place in this world? We ask that question. If you haven't, trust me, you will ask that question. You ponder, yeah, what is my place in this world? What is my role in my family? What is my role in this society? What is my role in this world? We search for significance. Do I really matter? What I do, does it really make any difference in this life? What I'm doing, does it really make any difference in my company? Does it really make any difference in my family? What I'm doing, does it make any difference if I come to church on Sunday? Does it make any difference at church? What is my significance? We search for that. We try to search for meaning in this life. Because that's how God has designed us, created us. Because God has put that eternity, the sense of time in this life. Then he immediately adds that we are not successful in this attempt. Because when you look at the second part of verse 11, yes, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We cannot find out. Even though we try to figure things out, what this life is really about, we cannot find out because we are limited. Man remains merely man. His possibilities, his vision are finite. It's limited. And the complete picture is beyond, beyond him. But it is natural for man, being what he is, to attempt to put the flow of things in words, try to understand things. And that's what we see in verses 1 through 10, uh, 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 verses 1 through 8, right? There is a season. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, and so on and so forth. It's, you know, these verses are actually carefully formulated, and their theme is stated in verse 1, for everything. For everything, there is a season. There is a time for everything. A time here is what we can see is what this text tells us is a divinely appointed time. A time is divinely appointed time, meaning everything that happens under the sun is orchestrated by God. Everything that happens under the sun, God's hand is in it. Everything that happens in our lives. And that includes joyous, exhilarating exhilarating times, like getting married, getting a job, getting into the college that you wanted, birth of a child. All happen under because it's a divinely appointed time, as well as devastating times like passing of the beloved one, losing your job, 
getting rejected. From the person that you were just, you know, searching and just like you wanted the man of your dream, the woman of your dream. And you just, you know, muster up your courage and ask. Ask her out and she says, no. You, know, you get devastated. He mentions various experiences common to us all, as well as the feelings that they produce. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to seek, a time to lose. All this wide range of emotions. Sometimes we are so happy, joyous. Other times we are just so dejected, depressed. C'est la vie, right? Such is life. If anything is clear, it's that our lives are subject to unexpected and radical changes. And as we reflect on our lives, we realize that there is so much that we do not understand. Our perception and understanding of this life are severely limited. It doesn't matter how hard we try. You can just Google all you want. Read up all the books you want. You can listen to every podcast out there. Still, our understanding, our perception is limited. There's only so much, even though as hard as we try to make sense of this life, we cannot make much of it. We don't understand fully. Yet, verse 11 has something else to say to us. And the second point is, while man is limited, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. The second half of verse 11, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end, we learn that the that the limited perspective that we have of our lives should be set in the context of God's sovereign control of all things. He shows that we are subject to times and changes that we have little or no control over and contrasts it with God's eternal sovereignty. Because God has what God has done from the beginning to the end. God sovereignly predetermines all things. Our lives are in the hands of God who has a total perspective, complete total perspective, not only of our lives, but also of all of history. We often see a limited scope of God's work in our lives. Now, as we try to see what God, what God, what are you up to? What are you doing in my life? What's going on? And maybe if we search hard enough, look hard enough, maybe we will see a couple of things that God is saying. Oh, okay, so God, you, you must be doing this in this area. Oh, God, you are leading me in this way. Or maybe you are, you are closing the door on this area. We may see a couple of things that God is doing in our lives. When in reality, God may very well be doing 10,000 things in us, around us. Maybe God may be preparing somebody that we, we don't even think of, dream of, and God is preparing that person in such a way that that person will just come into our life and we cross our paths. We become great friends. Or maybe that person turns out to be a thorn in our sight. 
But God is doing something, and God is teaching something in each and every one of us. God is doing something that we cannot possibly understand fully. What is striking is the first half of the verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. It's a surprising statement and difficult one for us, for us to accept, right? Really? Everything? I mean, everything? Pandemic? It's a beautiful thing? How can it be? What it's saying is that from, once again, as the first point says, man is limited. So from our limited perspective, from our finite, limited perspective, events in our lives may be puzzling and confusing, full of disappointments and letdowns, right? If you think about it, there are, we can just count. We have countless moments, things that happen in our lives where we are, I don't get it. Why, God? Why did you make this happen? It doesn't make sense to me. We are full of it. So from our limited perspective, we cannot say with all honesty that God has made everything beautiful. But, here's a big but. From the perspective of God's design, not from our pers- limited perspective, but from Almighty God, the sovereign God's uh, omnipotent uh, you know, perspective of his, God, his design, it is a creation of great beauty. All of history is in God's hands. And God has made not just few things, some things beautiful, but all things beautiful in their time. Once again, not from our limited tunnel vision perspective, tainted by sin, but from God's infinite, all-wise mind, and from his all-knowing design, his purpose, what he wants to accomplish, all things work out for his glory, according to his will, according to his purpose. It's a mystery on our part, but completely understood by our sovereign Lord God. So what does this all mean? It means that in our hardships and difficulties, we need to be reminded that we are not victims of accidents or coincidences. Things that happened that we did not want, we didn't ask for, it didn't just simply happen by chance. We must remember that the creator of man is also the creator of human history. He's the great architect. When we see this, and believe this in our hearts that we are limited. But in his time, according to his purpose, God is working everything out. The outworking of his purpose is beautiful from his perspective because he's the one sovereignly steering everything according to his plan. When we believe that in our hearts, then we begin to view our lives as a work of beauty. 
coming from the hands of God, that every one of us, God has been in charge from the moment that we were born, the moment we came into this world, to the moment that God takes away. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. Not one of us is lost. Not one of us escapes his attention, his care, and his love. And I know it's not easy to really accept that when we are in a situation that we never asked for or wanted. It's not easy to see, see that as something beautiful, far from it. But what we need to know is that this is God's world. We are not the masters of this world. We are not the masters of our own lives. God is. God created this world according to his perfect good design. Therefore, God's grace will be sufficient for us when we need it. Even when we go through tough times, God's scripture says his grace will be sufficient for us regardless of the situation. Our lives are in his hand. He knows exactly what he is doing to each and every one of us. We won't know how all the pieces of puzzle fit together. There's no way we can know. There are so many moving parts, uncertainties about us. So fragile. But scripture tells us here that he will make everything beautiful. It's time, and it's time. He will. Faith teaches us that God has ordered all things according to his own purpose, and that means that man's role is to accept that. That is what is given to us, that we are not in control. God is, and accept it. That also means that we are limited in our understanding. We accept it as God's appointments. God's beautiful but tantalizing world is too big for us, and yet its satisfaction too small. Therefore, let us let our questions be small in comparison to the great answer that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that I'm trying to belittle or like marginalize the struggles, the, the, the heartfelt questions that you may have about what's going on in your life. I simply do not understand why God. But in light of the answer that God has provided for us through the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel, let our questions be small. None of us can fathom the works of God. I mean, who of us can truly say that I have figured God out? I think I said that uh, in uh, one of the messages before about Job, right? Job tried to figure out, why am I going through all this suffering? What have I done wrong? But in the end, the only thing that he could say after God said, were you there from the foundation of, when this foundation of the world was laid? Were you there? Do you know where the wind comes, where it goes? Do you know how this whole world uh, operates and, world, uh, you know, and, Job couldn't say anything. The only thing he could do was to repent. 
I've heard of you, but now I see you. Now I understand that you are a sovereign God who is not answerable to me. But because of, our, the, because of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what God has shown us through his son, because of the word of God that's given to us, we can still say in the midst of all the unanswered questions and the impossibility of knowing everything that's going on, we can still say he has, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Crucifixion of Christ was the most horrific event known to man. I mean, how can the Son of God, sinless Son of God, be hung on the cross so helplessly and die? What wrong has he done? What sin has he even committed? Why did he deserve such a uh, horrendous uh, execution? How can the how can God the Father let that happen and the enemy have its heaviest day? But when you look at it from our perspective on that day, we cannot truly wrap our hands around, heads around it. The disciples, every, everyone that followed him were truly devastated. They were all scattered. Their hopes and dreams were dashed. How can God let this happen if Jesus truly was the Son of God. If he was the Messiah that we've been waiting for all this time, if he is the Savior of the world, how can he die on the cross? How can God let that happen? But in its time, God has made it the most glorious moment in history so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the risen Christ, will be saved and reconciled to the Almighty God. The most horrendous thing became the most glorious thing in its time. James Dobson um, shares a story. I heard this story uh, when, he was, when his son was like only two, three years old. And this, his son like followed him. He loved his dad. And so uh, Dr. Dobson just really enjoyed spending time with his son, even though he was really young. But then, you know, like as a responsible father, he wanted to, you know, just have the, uh, for the immunization, right? He had to just give him a shot. So he took him to the hospital. And his son, in his two, three-year-old mind, he couldn't possibly fathom why his dad would make, make him go through this. So when the child was just like, you know, struggling to get free, and so the doctor just asked him, asked Dr. Dawson to just, you know, place, you know, just kind of press him, right? Because he was just going bonkers. He was going crazy. And so, just, so when he tried to, you know, just like put him down so that the doctor could, you know, the, the, put the, the needle in, he said he saw his son's face. He, his son looked at him and said, Dad, how could you do this to me? I mean, of course, he didn't say it out loud, but he had this, like, such a look of confusion, betrayal. But I don't understand. Dad, I thought you loved me. As a loving father, how could you make this stranger put this big needle into my butt, right? I mean, of course, he didn't make all that you know, reasonable conversation with him, but he said, when he looked at his face, right, he said it all. Dad, how could you let this happen to me? But he couldn't possibly, to a two, three-year-old son, couldn't understand why this was good for him, even though it hurt at the moment. 
That's what God does to us oftentimes. When we go through sufferings and the things that we do not want, sometimes his purpose is beyond us. With our limited understanding, doesn't matter how smart you think you are, we do not fully understand. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, right, he was the apple of his eyes, right? He loved him to death. He'd rather die for him. And yet, his father takes him to a mountain, Mount Moriah, binds him up, and he sticks, you know, pulls out his, like, sword, and about to just, you know, you know, just sacrifice his own son. Can you imagine if you were Isaac? How could, why is my dad doing this? Can you also imagine Abraham, what he's going through in his mind? If you're a dad, you probably understand even more. How could God command me to sacrifice the only son that you have promised, that you gave me the promise that through this son, that there will be a great nation will be birthed, and you are asking me to sacrifice my own son? What kind of God are you? He didn't understand, and yet he obeyed. Even though we have a limited, incomplete perspective, let us follow the one who has the total perspective. From his perspective, everything makes sense. From our perspective, it does not. He will guide our steps. Though we may experience hardships, we must confess that Ecclesiastes is right when he says, for everything there is a season. There's a time for everything under the sun. There will be all kinds of things happening in our lives. But he has made everything beautiful in its time. May that be our confession as we move forward. Let's pray.